Hello. Oh, hi, Merlin. Hi, Dan. How are you? I'm good. How's everything with you? Oh, everything is great. 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 Good. I'm clicking. I'm making an episode. (laughs) I'm uh, I'm doing, doing things. I'm in the CMS. All your CMS are belong to me. Have you been That's listening cool. to uh, to to Beats Beats One all morning? Didn't it just launch? Yeah, like an hour ago. I think so. <laughs> uh, I'll say no. No. Uh, I mean, it's. I just thought you hour. know this is an epic, momentous time for us since Apple has invented radio. That you know. Well, they did more than that. They really, it's three, <laughs> three, three things in one because they've invented radio. Yeah. Okay. Yes. And B, it's radio on the internet. And then, and then three, it's all about music. Yes. So you see, you see, you got, you got, you got radio. Yeah. Internet. Yeah. Music. Are you getting this? The intersection of those three things. Right. The intersection of the liberal arts and the uh, 80 years ago. <laughs> Here we go. Music for Apple. Number one by Brian Eno. <laughs> Brian Eno. <laughs> yeah. Apparently they're looping uh, yeah. one, one. <laughs> That's a great track. Bong, 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 bong. It's hard to sing along with uh, some ambient music. I could probably sing you the whole thing, though. I know it pretty well. Do you? Can you hear a little bit? Yeah. Ready? Yeah. Bong, 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 bong. It's only like 11 more minutes. I can keep going if you yeah, want. Yeah, I mean, I'm into it. I like it. <clears throat> yeah, I uh, back when we used to use compact compact discs... I, I burned a CD of that on repeat so I could just play it. Did you really? Oh, I love that tune. You know it's what's great. weird is, is like I remember that. I remember making a tape or something of a song that I really liked. And, I, you know, I just put it on there three or four times. Just listened right. to it a few times in a row. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, um, I Yeah, I did the same thing. And I, I, my trick also, if it was a short record, why, one in particular I remember is the, um, the Minor Threat. Minor Threat put out a CD of, pretty much I think almost everything they had up to that point uh, on this one CD and it was still like 40 minutes long. <laughs> and so on, on one side of the cassette, I, uh, I would just, I would just, um, at when, you know, if it, I would take whatever song I liked the most from the record uh-huh. and then just play that on repeat at the end. Can't keep up, can't keep up, can't keep up, out of step with the world. Music. It's all about music on the internet. <laughs> it's all, it's all happening. Everything yeah. today. Everything. Yeah, I, I uh, no, um, you know, I, I, uh, I want to give it a throw. I, I don't like updating my phone. Oh, I, it's the worst. I absolutely hate it. I just hate it. It's kind of like moving to to a new house because you need toilet paper. Like I, I'm not gonna update my phone to get music <laughs> yet. <laughs> you know, it's just uh, a lot can go wrong when you update your phone. Oh, we can a lot, a whole lot, and you never know what it's going to be. And this is, you know, I'm do I am doing it. It's actually happening right now. I figured it. While I was doing the show, I could put the phone away and not have to, you know, look look at it and wait, watch the progress bar. But uh, I, I'm doing it only so I can talk about it. I don't really have an interest in it at all. Is that bad? Is it bad that I'm couldn't be l- possibly less interested in in this? Only in as much as it makes you a terrible person, right? That's what I mean. If you don't care about everything as much as everyone else, you are on the face of it a bad person. Yeah. I went to. Oh I don't my god! Know what's if, happening outside? I don't know. Here, you hear that? I do. I don't hear it. Should I? Am I a bad person? <laughs> it sounds like somebody's operating a bandsaw here, outside. Outside uh, my uh, recording studio. Oh no, it's fine here. 
Well, yeah, I know it's fine there. It's just to hear it sounds like a bandsaw. Um, well, you know, I mean, and this is... Um, I meant your audio sounds fine here. No, I'm talking it's happening here. I Yes, okay. Third base. Did, uh, did you know that I went on a, v- a beach vacation? I left Friday and I got back yesterday. Mm-mm. It's the worst. I didn't. It was the worst. Oh, the beach. So Do you, you like it? Do you go to the beach a no, lot? of course I don't like the beach. I, I'm a bad person. <laughs> Everyone I know loves the beach, and they're like, let's go to the beach. And I'm like, oh my God, like, why don't we just go to the DMV? It's so hot. <laughs> it's really sandy. Everything's expensive. There's moisture. And then there's all these people in flip-flops. And that's your vacation? Yeah. People in flip-flops? Ugh. I think we should just we should sit quietly by ourselves and think about things. That should be the vacation. Yeah. Just have a, just have a minute to yourself. Um, no, um, that's terrific. You went to a beach. Do, do they have beaches in Texas? Are they large? <sighs> so let me, let me tease apart that question. Mm, Galveston. Galveston? <sighs> no, Galveston. Port, Port Aransas. They do have beaches in Texas. Yes. They're not, if you've ever been to a beach in, in our home state of Florida, <laughs> then you would not call what they have in Texas a beach. It's not a beach in <laughs> the same sense of the, of the word. Well, technically, it's a confluence of land and water yes. that qualifies as a beach. That's it. That's where it. That's where it ends. Um, it's. It's just. I don't want to go into it. It's just not good. It's not good. I mean, was kids it your love idea? it. No, your no, no, no. Yeah. The beach I, is never the man's idea. Never. I went because my my wife believes, and I think she's correct, that our our two children, ages three and seven, really enjoy it, and I think that they do. And they enjoy it in a way that kids who've never been to a good beach would enjoy a bad beach. Um, mm-hmm. But they, they do have a lot of fun, and I'm willing to endure all manner of discomfort and unpleasantness so that my kids can have a good time, hence the existence of Chuck E. Cheese. Uh, but this is, you know, it, it's, it just takes a, lot, it takes a lot out of me. You shouldn't come back from a vacation getting less sleep and being, you know, being stressed out. But that's what it, yeah. that's what it was like. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's one of those things where I've said this before, but one of my problems with vacations, I've gotten better at this over time, is that it can be very difficult for me to uh, un- unhook quickly. Oh yeah, it takes me. I still feel like unless I'm, I've got really got the right state of mind, it's hard. It, well, historically, I'll say it's been very difficult for me to enjoy anything about a vacation for at least two days, sometimes five days. And so, I mean, how many times do you get a five day vacation these days? It doesn't right. happen that much. Right. But but like, I mean, I think it was worse. When I mean, fortunately or unfortunately, the kinds of stuff I do now kind of do require uh, equipment and a certain location. Um, but it used to be. <laughs> no, I know to, exactly what you mean. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm going to do a podcast from the beach. Um, but uh, at the time when I was doing 43 folders and I was very, very absorbed in it. I mean, I, I, I realized it hasn't been updated in a while, but I used to spend a tremendous amount of time doing stuff related to that site. And uh I think I told you the story of, you know, being on vacation, you know, in the pre-iPhone days, I think I probably had a trio at the time and my <laughs> MacBook Pro. You remember this? Yeah. And, and like, I, I, I discovered there was zero cell coverage where we were. <clears throat> and, uh, but I discovered that the people uh, in the vacation house across the street uh, had internet, but just barely. Oh. So like if I stood on the couch in the sunroom, and held my MacBook Pro in the air like a sun salutation. <laughs> oh, yeah. I could get one little curve of Wi-Fi. If I took my MacBook Pro and I and this is so, so creepy, I, I sat outside there on their porch. Mm-hmm. They weren't there. I sat outside on their porch and would do the internet like that. 
I don't think that's that weird. I have to tell you, that's not that weird. It, the, yeah, it gets worse. Oh no, what happened? You don't want to know. No, tell me. Oh my God, I can't believe I did this. Do it. What? Well, you know, when you're troubleshooting things, mm-hmm. you realize that there are some things that are more likely to have caused something than something else. Uh, it occurred to me that something had gone wrong because the internet, I could get the wireless, but I wasn't getting any internet. I, ch- I checked the sliding door and it was open. Oh no. Yeah. So I went and restarted the router. Oh my God. Then I left. I didn't touch anything. I left without stealing anything. Uh, but that's, uh, <laughs> I can't believe it. Are you serious? Well, it was open. It was, I figured it was the honor system. <laughs> right. It's open. Why not go in? Look Look at the way it was dressed. Did they live there or were they just vacationing there? Um, I, I, I think uh, I don't, shouldn't talk about it anymore. This is a very long time ago in a you different shouldn't. state. You shouldn't. I don't think, I, it couldn't be adjudicated. Uh, but, what did uh, you call me? Hmm? No, oh, I'm uh, sorry. Must uh, talk. So uh, listen, to, listen to this. Just to give you an idea of the way that internet is handled for people who haven't taken these kinds of vacations, what Merlin did, what you did, yeah. not, not extreme. Uh, I, we got there and I asked my wife multiple times, please ver because the last time she made us go to this place, we stayed in like a little house near the beach. This time we stayed in like a, a condo on the beach. And I said, last time the Wi-Fi didn't work. Wireless didn't work. You had to be plugged in. So I wound up using the computer that I had brought, which I had brought to use as a computer. I wound up using that to create a Wi-Fi network. So it had to be plugged in back behind the armoire for the mm. entire trip because it was creating the Wi-Fi network. Going, you know, doing the bridge where you plug in the, the Ethernet and then do a, a, a Wi-Fi you make, network. You just make a, a, not ad hoc, but a, a, yeah, exactly. an access point. Yeah, Right. So I didn't want to have to do that again. And I said, can you just verify they have Wi-Fi? She said, yeah, they def- definitely have Wi-Fi. I said, can you just check? She said, all right, I'll check. And she came back and said, they do. Don't worry. I said, okay. Got there. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I, I asked the folks at the desk, said, what's the Wi-Fi password? And they told me what it was. I went up. There, is, there was a Wi-Fi network. There was a cable modem router sitting there. I have to share this with you because you're, you're the only one who will understand this. Mm-hmm. The, 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 this this is the whole of Port Aransas, this, this kind of misunderstanding. So there's the router sitting there, and I notice none of its like connect lights are, that are supposed to be solid lit. They're, none of them are lit, and they're all flashing. And just like the long, power long light. links. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we, we know what this means. But I, I was able to get onto the network. I was able to, to look at it that way. But, of course, it's not getting out to the Internet. So I look at the back of it, and I notice that there's no, uh, there's no, no coax plugged into it. Uh. But there was an Ethernet cable, and the Ethernet cable was going into the back of the, uh, of the uh, DVR, which was weird. And a, a coax was going into the back of the DVR, and I thought, that's just weird to me. That seems wrong to me. And so I looked back, and I saw coming out of the wall the cable splitter. And for those who don't have cable modems in their house, and maybe people who just have, D, uh, you know, have uh, DSL or something, you usually have one cable line coming in. It splits off into two. One goes to your cable box. One goes to your cable modem. So what? So what? So one of them was going to the cable box, and I noticed the other was plugged into the back of the TV. Mm-hmm. When the TV was playing stuff from the cable, uh, from, from the cable box, it was set to uh, component. 
And that's, so I said, well, why is this one plugged in? I unplugged it from the back of the TV, the cable, the coax and plugged it into the cable modem. Cable modem comes to life. Now we have internet. Somebody had plugged the internet coax into the back of the TV, even though the TV was already getting its signal from the cable box, which was going through the component. Yeah, but it's like a little baby shape sorter. Like people see this looks like it would fit in here. And then you're like, oh, now right. we have internet. Right. But it was just so weird yeah. to me because who knows how long it's been like this. I know. And, well, and the way you're describing, though, I feel your pain. And this is, this is such a, a, a Buddhist moment to learn from is when you're going like, okay, I guess we're going to go on the vacation. And like, yeah, we're going on vacation. It's like, can you please make double, triple sure that they have good Wi-Fi? <laughs> so it says here they have Wi-Fi. It's free Wi-Fi. <laughs> Give me the phone number. <laughs> Ring. <sighs> Call and find out about your Wi-Fi. Yes, sir. We have Wi-Fi. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Positively. How fast is it? Oh, works great for us here. Super duper. Looking forward to seeing you. Hang up the phone. And you get there, and if you can get on it, it's a captive portal <laughs> that you have to log into every time. Right. One device at a time. Oh, you didn't get the password for today? Make sure you go get the password for today. You got to get a new password for today. One one device per, for a room. Ding dong, ding dong. And so you get, and then you get one, one meg down maybe for a minute. Yeah. And it drops out. It's kind of like saying to your friend, like if you're a chef, you say to your friend, listen, I'm making scrambled eggs tomorrow. Do you have tarragon? And like, of course we have tarragon. And you're like, could you go check and make sure you got tarragon? Because that's really important to my whole egg thing. <laughs> and they go, look, 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 look. I know I have bought tarragon in the last 10 years. There's got to be tarragon in this house. <laughs> so, I mean, on some level, uh, St. Anastasia, what's the name of the place where you stayed? Port Aransas. Mustang, exactly. technically it was Mustang Island, but... <laughs> <laughs> okay uh so i know i know they do they, they do technically have wi-fi it's just they don't have the right wi-fi and maybe it shouldn't matter because you're going on vacation bring your own tarragon is all i'm saying and and, and you know and the thing is uh, you know it's that's the difficult part though it, is it it's hard for it to be a zero or a one like when we went on that cruise in february um i uh one of the running bits on the cruise is david reese gets up on the first day and, and asks people if they want to take the i forget what it's called but like the unplugged challenge like can you stay off the internet for this entire week <laughs> and i i got up there you know i'm a joiner right I was like, hey yeah sure i can do this right at the time we were running to the very end of the roderick on the line t-shirt stuff and i'm thinking you know you kind of got to promote that there's all this stuff oh, Plus, yeah. it was like 200 dollars to have wi-fi and all this stuff and you know i made it for four days for four oh. days, I didn't have it. But then as soon as I got it, it was like, I'm just laying in bed, looking at my phone. Right. Burp, 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 burp. You know, it's, <sighs> I don't know. I'm sorry, Dan. It's, vacations are important. Yeah, I guess they are. And, you know, it's, it really does change when you have a kid or multiple kids as far as like what you decide to do and how you decide to, I mean, obviously big changes for running your life as a whole, which we've talked about a lot, but even just things like a vacation, like how, how long of a, you know, it, as, as adults, you want to do an eight hour drive. It's like, all right, we'll stop here. We'll get some lunch. Oh, here's a good, we you know, remember last time we took this trip, you could stop here at this restaurant. It was great. It's halfway, but like, we're not doing an eight hour drive with, with one or, or two kids in the car, you know? So that really limits where you can drive to. And then there's all these food. Does your daughter have these food requirements? Like she won't eat stuff. She just won't eat it. Or is she good um, about that? I mean, like any kid, I think she has, she definitely has preferences and there's some kinds of things. The reason I, the reason I'm reluctant to say that she definitely has that is that she has that much less when we're not there. 
So I don't know if you get things like that. <laughs> right. If you get things where your kids will be much more like interesting and courageous and decent when uh-huh. you're not around. Yeah. Like she goes and visits with her, her aunt and uncle and like, man, she'll eat anything. Like oh, she, she, she'd eat half a bear. Like, <laughs> oh, whatever. Just put it on a plate. I'll eat it. Sure. Look at me. Yeah, sure. I'll bungee jump. Sure. I'll do anything. I'm like, and then we're getting pictures and we're like, where did you find this child that looks like our daughter? So that's the thing. Or like at camp today, like she will probably eat things that she would not eat at home. And at home, all she wants is noodles and TV. But yeah, so anyway, yeah. So what, what are your dietary requirements in your household? Well, I mean, obviously, like we're, we do the gluten-free thing, which is not a big deal, really, even anywhere we, we travel anymore. It's just, it's fine. But like my, my son, he's come so far. There used to be so many things he wouldn't eat. And the other night, our last night there, we went to, uh, the, there's like one kind of nice restaurant on the island. And we went there and we, I got him a steak and he ate the whole steak, like by himself. He loved it. Like that was a first age seven. Like the first time he's just in, really enjoyed a steak. I was so proud of him. My daughter spits out everything, anything would not eat anything. The steak, she ate some steak the night before this night, that night I spit it all out. I just, it, so it's like, it's so, it's so weird and it's so hard to predict and you just have to roll with it, you know? And then like, yeah, that's the kind of thing that I've learned most as a parent and I've tried to apply to other aspects of my life and like work and stuff is like, you know, like there's not there's not going to be any pleasing her when it comes to food. If she doesn't want to even eat anything like part of its subtlety, though, because this is going to sound weird, but I, I'm def- I definitely get this with my kid. Like what you, you and I think of steak, which is nature's perfect food, oh, given God, that yeah. if, as long as you're not a steer, uh, it's nature's perfect food. <laughs> like I'll have all have all of the steak. I'm like the Ron Swanson of steak. Please and thank you. I yes. will take all of it. Yes. But to a little kid, steak is really a whole bunch of different things. Uh, it is, think about the different ways it could be prepared. It could be this, the seasoning could be different from pl- stick to stick. The doneness on the inside right. could be different from stick on the outside. My daughter has an extreme aversion to certain kinds of fat. Like fat on a steak grosses her out. Certain butter of a certain consistency makes her lose her mind. Wow. Hard butter. We're okay. Like melted butter, it's just like blood on the plate. And so, like, I think for kids, there's a lot more. They're they're experiencing that in a much fresher way than we are. So steak or whatever. But I'm just saying they experience that in a much fresher way than we do. We grok that as dinner. And for them, it's like (laughs) this series of of slightly repulsive, you know, experiments. But that's good. Spitting out, that's no good. You don't want to do that. No, and it's and it's frust- it's frustrating. Then she'll get a hold of a knife and put it in her, in her mouth. And she's three. She knows better. And she's just doing it to antagonize me. You know, like <laughs> oh, she, I doubt that. No, she is totally doing it to just be. She loves. She's in this antagonizing stage where she knows she's doing something bad, and you'll see it in her eyes as she's sort of looking at you. And uh, it's she just loves to. She's at that age and where, where she just really enjoys. Just has testing limits. Probably. Yes, very much testing limits. And, you know, anyway, it, it makes everything like, like a challenge. And it's, but, you know, like you just have to roll with it. You just have to be like, you know what? Maybe she's not going to eat and we're going to have to give her, you know, potato chips when we get back to the house. And like, yeah, I'm a terrible parent now because she's, my daughter's going to be eating just potato chips. But I'll tell you what, it's true when they're with other people. They oh, do, God. they do different things. If, <laughs> if it's just me and her, I could take her, I could feed her caviar only and she would be fine. I could get her a burger. She'd be fine. She'd eat any, she does not care if it's just me and her, but if it's me and her and her brother and her mom, mm-hmm. forget it. She won't eat anything. There's probably something to learn from that. Um, <laughs> I'm sure well, I, mean, I, want, so, so, I want to know what it is. Well, because you're not looking at it as her, you're looking at it as, as you. 
you know, in the same way that like we, we understand the need for contextuality and to have different voices and personalities or in my parlance to be different people at different times. Right. The, the person you are in on a client call is different from the person that you are at the DMV, is different from the person you are when you're alone in the beach house. Those are all different people. They are all absolutely still you, whether you like it or not, but like you learn to modulate um, aspects of your personality and maybe even your cognition to align with like what's needed for the situation, right? Some, sometimes, you know, you just want to take your pants off, but you can't do that in a meeting and you right. get that because you're right. an adult. But like when you're a little kid, like who knows what kinds of, of things she's seeing and feeling that we don't see and feel. That's the way I always try to look at it, you know? And I mean, the, you know, there's that phrase, I'm trying to avoid the phrase peer pressure, but like, you know, if she's around, my kid's around a bunch of like kids her age and older, she is much more courageous then, you know, she, sometimes she can't muster the courage to have her hair brushed at home. So, but, and yet she will go and do something kind of daring when we're not around. And I, I, I these, these things have been on my mind lately. I, um, <clears throat> I linked to an article. I'll find this for show notes. John Dickerson from Slate wrote a really, really good piece about what summer camp means to his kids oh. and to him. It was really, really good. And like the, 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 the daughter that he picks up from summer camp is a different kid. Than oh, man. One. And, you know, and it doesn't last forever, but like there's a certain amount of time where he, you know, it's just you become a little bit wild and a little bit more independent when you go to camp. And anyway, the thrust of the article, which I really highly recommend reading, uh, is that one of the difficulties for a parent is to realize and accept and there's, there's actually, you know, I guess some scholarship on this is that the memories, the best memories your kids will have of their childhood don't involve you. 80% of a kid's best memories happen with other kids or by themselves. You're not involved. Mm-hmm. And so if you do the math on that, I mean, you have to give more opportunities for your kid. And I don't mean that whole like, hey, go out and poke yourself with a stick and get an infection. Like that kind of, be wild. Not even that. But giving, giving your kid just the opportunity to do more stuff where you don't insert yourself uh, into what they're doing or make yourself, and this is getting to a larger issue for you and me, I think, is to make it a thing where like, okay, this is the dad thing that we're doing. You are, you are a kid doing a dad thing now. It's more like, how do you, how do you give them the opportunities to go do things and be on their own and the, the, the tools and the time that they need to do that? Yeah. I mean, we've just, just such trivial stuff. Like I try to find ways now to more and more one of the biggest things that's still hard for me, even at her age, is having her be out of sight. It's oh, yeah. something I'm still uncomfortable about. And it was just crazy because, I mean, by the time I was seven, I was doing all kinds of stuff by myself. Oh, yeah. I mean, seven years old, I was getting dropped off from the bus. I was walking through my apartment complex, which is, you know, probably half a mile to my apart to the apartment we lived in, uh, going upstairs and locking the door and waiting an hour and a half or whatever for, before my mom got home at seven. Yeah. Like, that is un thinkable to me like i don't let my kid get you know when i take both of them to target you know i let i let the big one uh walk on his own a few aisles down and the little one stays three feet away from me now i mean it would be you know god forbid right it'd be tougher to to uh abduct a relatively big seven which which doesn't which doesn't happen it's it's a rounding error how often that happens right but it happens enough that you think about it right we don't these aren't paper towels you don't just to get 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 to pull down a fresh one when we lose that one. Right. But But like the little one, I'm just, I don't, I'm never more than a few feet away from her. And that is not how it was in the seventies when I was a kid. Oh yeah. I mean, it seems like once a month you could get lost in a department store and cry (laughs) and have to call mom. And it happened all the time. time. But but it's funny to say target because target is the location where I, 
I think just about the only time ever that I've lost track of my kid when, when, when they're it's little so and they're, they're shorter than the racks and the shelves, mm-hmm. it's easy for them to shorter than the racks and the child is making a face like this. But, um, that, that twice at target and, and I just, it, I get a little panicky and I have to just, you got to calm down and then start yelling like a crazy person. <laughs> Name of child. Um, I, 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 it's, it's, you know, and, and here's this temptation that I struggle with is that my older one, my son, He's old enough now that I can say something to him like, watch your sister for one second, and he can do it. He can do it. But sometimes he doesn't. So if I say, watch your sister for one second, I've gone, walked away, grabbed something off a shelf, put it in the cart, been right back, literally gone for about about 10 seconds, and he's sitting there like with his hand on her shoulder, and he does that nine times out of 10. And then there's that 10th time where I'm like, I just told you to watch her, you know, and this might be like outside at a playground and she's run to the other end of the playground. I'm not worried. There's fences all around it. I just, you know, like I told you to watch her. He's like, oh, well, she walked away. I'm like, no. Right. So I was, it's like watching, you can't her. I was delegate. watching her, but then she walked away. Right. You can't delegate that. You can't delegate that. Um, yeah, it's, I, we want, I want to get to your, your topic of interest, oh, yeah. but yeah. I feel like some of like this, the, I, I'm making these kind of big shark circles to, to get to uh, some very abstract ideas I've been thinking about a lot. Um, you know, I'll say some of it for when you, when you get to your topic, but you know, one of them is that it has to do with the ongoing journey to becoming less, I don't want to say less self-involved, but less self-centered less right. self-directed. Um, and you know, maybe it's just because I've seen Inside Out twice this week, but like the, I've been thinking a lot about how much I think a lot. And I've been thinking a lot about how, um, about the benefits and challenges of trying to live your life for other people and really, and doing it with, with gusto. And I'm realizing how difficult it is. And I'm, I'm finding myself wondering why I find that so difficult. It's not that I don't care about people. It's not that I don't love people, but it does still feel really challenging. And I think part of it's just personality flaws on my part. Maybe it's some things about modern culture. Um, you know, it's probably just who I am. But I think one benefit is to do little exercises, whether this is a way of giving your kids some independence, giving yourself some reflection and distance from your feelings and, and uh, uh, thoughts, yeah. emotions. Uh, is to give yourself little exercises in doing things completely for other people um, in, in an abstract and very concrete way. Because I have this, I'm starting to have this dawning realization that I think one reason life gets, um, life doesn't get, I have, a the, I have a thesis that life does not get better when we become more inward turning and self-involved. And I'm starting to see evidence for that in myself and the people around me. Really? That, well, in the sense that, okay, so this is a quick example. I mean, when I, whenever we have our, our, you know, at least one day a, a weekend, my kid and I will just, you know, have a project to go somewhere for four or five, six hours, whatever. Usually it's a movie. We go to lunch. We might, you know, go buy a book or something. But that's, you know, like a thing we've always done. Daddy, daughter day, right? Um, and like, but it's funny because like I realized that in my head, I have this schedule for how this is going to go. Mm-hmm. When there really doesn't need to be a schedule, we rarely buy a movie ticket. But all I'm thinking about is like making appointments on time. Like we've got to get, got to get the next train. Then we've got to get to this, and we've got to get to that. And like if I let myself be myself, I will focus almost completely on how she's failing to live up to Daddy Daughter Day. Not not, not completely, but you get you get the joke. And so instead, when I realize, you know, God, why don't you just calm the f down? Like there's nowhere you have to be. And if something changes, that's okay. Some of my favorite 
days that we have had are where we just followed our nose and ended up in the most bizarre, like, there was one day that we were just like, hey, let's, let's just do whatever. We'll just go downtown and walk around. So we go to the totally sketchy part of downtown. We're walking around and we discover this place called the International Museum of American Art. And it's this incredibly weird museum that's a combination of colonial paintings and Buddhist art by a single artist. Wow. And they have a living jungle in the lobby. <laughs> I'm going to encourage you to look this place up because it's about the craziest place. And What's the name of there. this again? I think it's called the Internet. The, the, wait, no, it's called the American. Try the American Museum of International Art. All right. It's on market. And the uh, I see it. I mean, I'm seeing the webpage for it. So it was, why am I telling you this? Because serendipity, kismet, call it what you want. But like, you know, uh, like if I, who knows how much stuff you miss by thinking about how you think it should go rather than just like, you know, unclenching and let letting the day become what it is. And then that is a way of like living for the other person. And sure, it's nice to think about, hey, you know, maybe we'll get ice cream on the way home or something like that. You could think ahead a little bit, but it is, it's, it, it, to me, it's, it keys into so much stuff we talk about. I'm so sorry I'm talking about parenting, but you know, because it, it involves mindfulness. Well, it no, I think par- lack of parenting self. is a really interesting, to, to quote Harstead, you, an interesting lens to kind of frame the rest of the stuff that, that we do, because there are a few things in a person's life, I think, uh, at least for for mine so far, that really re- help you or cause you to reframe your entire perspective on the universe as becoming a parent. Uh, I really don't think that there are as many events that that have that dramatic and instantaneous of an effect on a person. Hmm. Do you agree? Can you describe it? Give me an example. Well, all of a sudden, you are no longer the center of your universe uh, in, in that sense. You, you, the, the wants and needs and desires that you have as a person, all of a sudden, very, very quickly take a back seat. And it's one, okay, thing, to yeah. say, it's one thing to say, well, you know, my, um, I, I put my spouse first. I put my wife, my husband, whatever first. And, and, or we talk about it or whatever. And like marriage changed my life. Yes, true. I mean, that, that's a thing. But all of a sudden, when you become a parent, like – you still want stuff and you still want to do stuff, but the, the needs of your child, again, will, will the majority of the time will, will come first, you know, and you're framing, at least for me, like the framing of my life, it, it very much became about doing the best things for my kids and making a decision that, that I might make even casual decisions where I'm like, well, I might want to do this, or I might think this is fun, but you know what? We'll go to the beach anyway, mm-hmm. um, or we'll go to the beach because it's it's good for them. And you do that on a day to day basis. You know, uh, lots of little tiny decisions that you make that uh, that that really reframe things. And your motivation, at least mine, the motivation will will change in a lot of ways. You know, I remember I was I was joking with somebody, but we were we were driving to lunch, and uh, they're in the passenger seat, and I was driving, and they're like, "You you can make that light. You can make it. You can make it." And I'm like. I know I could make it, but I'm a parent, mm-hmm. you know, little things like that, that just change that, that thinking process of every minute of, you know, because I'm not saying we would have died if we had gone, you know, and tried to make the light, but you know what? We might why have had you, a little, why would you even try? Why would you even try? And what if we got a little fender bender and how does that impact, uh, you know, getting them to school in the morning, forget me getting to work, you know, all of these little domino, the domino effect is what I'm talking about. So yeah. it, yeah. You know, that's what yeah, I, mean. I, 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 I agree. I think, I think I know what you mean, but there's something to be said for, 
um, what's the word I'm looking for? I think, I think in life, uh, as in parenting, it's useful to be careful that you be, that you'd be smart about distinguish, distinguishing between these various sets of nouns where you've got things like values, you've got things like goals, you've got things like beliefs, you've got all these different things. And I think, I think sometimes there's a, there's a great scene in, um, in Inside Out where, you know, it's kind of like a big allegory for being inside a kid's mind. And there's one point when they're riding on the, on the train of thought, which is of course literally a train. And they've got these boxes of thoughts and there's boxes of opinions and a character knocks one of them over. And like, oh no, it's in part, I can't tell the, the, the I can't tell the uh, thoughts from the, or I can't tell the uh, facts from the opinions. And this, you start stuffing in the boxes. Like, oh yeah, that happens all the time. It's like, it's so true. <laughs> it's so true. Um, and so I, I think, for example, though, like in, in, in the way you try to negotiate or to wrangle a day, mm. for example, like a day at the beach or whatever, like really the goal of the day at the beach is to have the kid, you know, have, have fun. And that, it has a certain primacy. You want it to be safe and stuff. But like, if you have too many rules about how you do it or too many expectations about how you do it and it doesn't go the way you want, then you start pulling out all your nouns and you start going, well, that's not the way that we behave or this isn't the thing that we do. And you find some way to cover up the fact that you're ultimately still being, in my case, I'll speak for myself, still being self-absorbed um, by trying to attach some kind of larger values to it. When it's really like, you know, just shut up. Just shut up and relax and get out of your head and go do something for other people. You know, I heard this wonderful quote. I was going to save this for your topic, but it's such a great quote and I wish I could track it down. Something I read in the last month and uh, I don't remember the exact phrasing, but it was something along the lines of it's, it's difficult to be scared when you're being useful. It's the times when we're not being useful to other people that we feel the most problematic emotions. If you what, think about it. Don't, what, do you, what does that mean exactly? Well. Um, if you're like if you're really busy helping somebody who really 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 needs your help, you develop a, a certain kind of, um, if not actual courage, you, the absence of fear because you're very directed on what you're doing. And, you know, there's this part of me that thinks that I wonder how many of the toxic emotions come out of thinking too much about the, th- the toxic emotions and what you need to do to not feel them anymore. Yeah. Again, this is probably inside out affecting me. But you know, I, I've I've felt that I've felt that like everything gets maybe this is partly an ADD and dopamine thing, but I, I'll feel a real jolt of like, okay, well, this is the thing that we're doing now is real clarity. And it doesn't have to be an emergency exactly, but like, you know, it's a good exercise to put yourself in situations where you aren't running everything and where you don't have control of everything. And it's a way to, it, it is, it is like going to like an emotional gym in some ways, because you're making yourself train to not have to have uh, executive function over the universe all the time. Right. And, and in the end though, you also lose your sense of self, uh, a little bit when you're not constantly worrying about whether things are going the way you want or expect. Right. That, that thing that we've talked about in the past of, um, you know, we, we, we endure a lot of suffering or cause ourselves a lot of suffering because we want things to be a, a different from the way that they are. Yes. And then this is the same thing, but not the same thing is that, and then, so there's, there's that, there's, this didn't go the way that I, like, I'm worried that this won't go the way I want. Right. That's problem one. And then maybe it doesn't go the way you want. That's two. And then now I feel bad about how this is not going the way that I want. Is that all the same thing? I don't think so. No. Because it's one thing to go like, oh, you know, I actually didn't want mustard on the, on my sandwich. So I can either turn that into a situation where I go outside, take off my clothes, throw a garbage can through the window and set the place on fire, or I can just continue with my day. 
I could get another sandwich or I could just decide, like I used to say, I've not, I've decided not to let this bother me. You know, it's, I don't know when I, I, I just, I think about all of this stuff in a, in a, I try to change my context of it because I remember there was what just listening to you talk about that reminds me of this thing that, that, uh, I was with a couple that had a kid probably eight years before we had ours, maybe, <clears throat> excuse me. And I remember think they, they were saying, I remember we were in a park and they were letting their kid, they, the kid was within sight and the kid was running all around the park and there were oh, almost, this, uh, you're going to fall. No different one. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and the, there were kind of like homeless people in the park and the kid was sort of going up to the homeless people and talking to them because the kid was probably four years old, three years old and didn't know any better. And I said, aren't you going to kind of discourage them from talking to the homeless people? Be- not because like they're bad people, but because you don't, know them feels, feels risky right it feels like potentially that's a, a risk you might and they said well we we can we can you know we can see him we can see him it's all right and i said well i'm not necessarily worried something terrible is going to happen to him but you know don't don't you think you know i'm like well never mind what do i know i'm not a parent you know and i'm not even close to being ready to be a parent and they said well we we kind of see ourselves as sort of shepherds and, and kind of guides from afar for our kids. And we don't want to, you know, get in the way of them experiencing their, their life. Yeah. And I thought, well, that's admirable in so many ways. It goes back to what you were saying initially of, you know, your, your kids experiences are the ones that they'll have on their own or with other kids or with other people and not the ones that, that you do with them directly. And, you know, and I like the idea of just kind of being a guide for my kid as opposed to a disciplinarian or, telling them what they're going to do and, and, and listening to you talk about, you know, going through a day and them just having fun. I like, I'm with all you on all of that completely, but I feel like that the, they kind of took it too far and that they were being so hands off that there maybe was a dangerous thing. And how do you walk that line, you know, between like letting your kid having fun and not helicoptering them, but also like keeping them safe. You know, it's that, it's that mindfulness right. thing. Well, the thing is, though, there's only one person in that entire missing scene that had a problem. It was you, <laughs> right? Yes, is is the interesting thing to walk, yeah. The kid was away. fine. The kid was fine. They did the eventually per- have one homeless person was engaging a little too much, so they did corral the kid eventually. But see, I would have wanted to avoid that whole. I know. I know. Thing. Well, yeah, we we had this uh, over the uh, what I guess over the weekend. Really, really crowded street car and my kid's sitting I'm standing and there's this guy who was he didn't mean to be creepy like a lot of guys but he was a really really old guy who was I think mostly deaf and I think he had a little bit of dementia and he really he saw this cute little girl and like wanted to engage her and he's trying to like you know be a fun old guy with her and of course it just comes off like scary and creepy but you know I I, I didn't think he was threatening he, you know, yeah. I had helped him sit down and stuff. Like he was a really old guy, but I, I felt bad for him. But also, you know, I didn't want my kid to be creeped out. The thing was, I was standing right next to her and I wasn't freaking out. I was keeping an eye on things because there was not, there was not that much to worry about, you know, really. Cause I was, I was right there to me. Like what I, what I have done when, when she was little 
that I've tried to stop doing is the whole like, okay, come on, honey, let's go. Like, whoa, 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 whoa you know, <laughs> if yeah. I do that three times a week, like, what does that tell her? It yeah. tells her that the world is a scary place and I have to be there to like protect her from things she doesn't understand. And like, I, I, the world is a scary place and I have to protect her from things that she doesn't understand. She doesn't really need to know that yet. Like she should still get to think that the world is mostly okay. Um, I think right, the, right. The, because like, as I, that is such a good point because like as a kid, I didn't really feel like the world was out to get me. I thought that it was like of, and you know, maybe this was too, too much, but I thought like the world was mostly a safe place and like, don't talk to strangers and you'll be fine. Well, there's also something that people do where it's almost like in stocks where you can like, you know, buy and sell short or, or long. There's a lot of people who are short on humanity where they basically want to always take the most conservative uh, maybe even pessimistic approach because it feels safe. Plus you get to gloat if something terrible happens, you know, it's like, <laughs> right. like if, if Pete Rose were betting against his team, if uh-huh. he were betting against the Reds and the Phillies, don't get me started on that. It breaks my heart. That guy can't be in the hall of fame. I know, I know. Um, but that's when you're, when you're selling humanity short, you're the, the biggest benefit you're going to get is if catastrophe happens. And like, I, I'm, I'm certainly not a Sunshine and Pollyanna guy by any stretch, but I do think it's important that, like I've always said, that the, my kid gets to become screwed up in her own way, not mine. And so part of that is like, I don't need to give her, and again, this kind of goes back to you talking about your daughter uh, at a meal, where it's like, it's, it's really hard to understand why, why is the kid acting that way? Like, why anything? Why is it that way? What, what they're going to remember more than anything else is how we, I think, I suspect, is how we acted. They're going to look to us for cues. All like right. if you're, it, if you're scared of dogs, your kid's going to be scared of dogs. If you're scared of germs, your kid's going to be scared of germs. If you're, if you telegraph that the world is full of danger, then first of all, like you, we have, you and I have the context for understanding why that is. They don't. All they see is a lot of fear that's difficult to understand. Mm. And so what I'm not saying is like, go be careless and have your kids run off into homeless encampments and sell clean needles or something. I'm not saying that. I'm just, I'm saying that like, I don't think it's as neutral as one thinks to be over conservative. And I'm, I'm realizing that and I'm trying to find ways, like I say, like to, to give chances to go and do stuff more on their own, you know, go play in the yard, like by yourself, which sounds so crazy unless you live in a city and like there are actual risks to things. Anyway, I don't know. What do you think? Well, you know, I was thinking about that movie, uh, because of the actor is, uh, is in some, uh, weird Pinocchio movie that, my my kids have found on Netflix or something, and uh, but it, it's uh, life is beautiful. Did you see that movie? Oh, is that uh, Roberto? Roberto Benigni. Yeah, right, right. Benigni. Yeah, um, where he's like a Jewish Italian, like owns a bookstore, and then he winds he makes up fun of Hitler or something. Uh, something happens, and he winds up in a, a concentration camp with his with his son is there, and. I don't want to like spoil the movie for, for people who haven't seen it. <laughs> I think it's it. an Oscar, Oscar winning film from maybe 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it, in, in the story, he's sort of, although he's basically at a, like, you know, doing hard labor, he makes it so that his son doesn't even really realize that they're in a concentration camp for the most part. Right. And that like, uh, you know, the, the, the guards will kind of come in and do things and he'll be like, Oh, those are, you know, just my friends were just messing around and, you know, they need help. So I'm going to go help them. I'll be gone till tomorrow, you know? And, um, and you know, he does this to sort of miraculously like, like shield, him. shield him. And, yeah. 
you know, that, that is such a desire. It is such a, a thing that as a parent, you want to protect your kids. Like that's the most, you know, have fun. Right. But like at the end of the day, I want them to be safe in bed, uh, going to sleep, you know, with, without any problems. And I don't know, you know, like that, that, that is, is this sort of urge that you almost have to put aside and like, you know what, mo- and I'm better at it than, um, than my wife is, I think in, in some cases, I'm like, I let, you know, let, let them play, let them fall, let them get hurt. They'll, you know, in a way, like they have to kind of learn the lesson. I don't want them to fall off a building, but if they trip because we told them not to carry this thing while they're doing it and, you know, then let them, let that happen. But it's, you're struggling against these, these, uh, parental, uh, urges all the time, I think. Mm hmm. Anyway, enough about that. Do you want to, I know, I think it's very interesting. Do you want to tell me about something you like? I will like to tell you about something I like, and it's something I thought about a lot while I was on my uh, Mustang Island vacation, sleeping on the worst beds that I've slept on in, in several years, is wouldn't it be nice if these guys had known about Casper, uh, our sponsor? Uh, mm. Because listen to this. These, the beds in this place were terrible. And my thought is that, you know what? Maybe I'm just spoiled with having a Casper mattress or something because the beds that Casper mattresses are so awesome and so comfortable and really affordable. And I'm like, you know what, for like what we're paying to stay in this place for like a couple nights, they could upgrade all of the beds. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, yeah. cr- it's crazy to me how Casper does it. What Casper does, they have these really great mattresses. They're hybrid mattresses, com- combination of latex foam and memory foam. And I was worried when I, when I got one of these that I wasn't going to like it because I'm not like a big memory foam fan. I've slept on like a straight up memory foam, but that's not what these are. They feel like a regular bed. The memory foam that's in there just makes them much more comfortable. And they're, they cut out the middleman so you don't have to go to like resellers and showrooms and all that nonsense. Instead of that, uh, they send it to you. It shows up in a box. You cut it, cut open the box and the bed just does this massive inhale and unfurls oh. itself. Oh, it's so nice. Oh. Oh. That's the sound the bed makes. I'm your bed. <laughs> it does. It comes in the, no, the crazy. It does. When it arrived, I mean, I think this is a uh, experience. A lot of people, <laughs> something that a lot of people uh, have had happen is you, you hear like, and you go and you go and there's, there's a box outside and you're like, Hmm, that's interesting. Right. It's a box. It's bigger than a file. Ca- I guess it's about the size of like a fat file cabinet. Yeah, but it's, but it's not mattress shaped or sized. And you're like, this is really weird. Is this is this a joke thing? Is this like something from the back of a comic book? You know, <laughs> yeah. Where it's like X-ray ah, gotcha. Yeah, uh, lots of asterisks. Uh, no, the neat part is you can pick it up. This is the first thing we you know we live a couple floors up, and the ability to pick this up and carry it into the bedroom by yourself is amazing. Have you ever tried to move a king size mattress by yourself? You can't even, they say to flip them, you can't flip that. That's crazy. I mean, it's, it's, it's very, very difficult to do, but that's, this is, this is the thing about that. I don't mean to cut cut off your ass, but the, but like the, uh, you start to realize the, the value of experience of, of the user experience, the consumer experience, if you like. And it's like, I don't, I don't think the folks in most mattress retailing places are super focused on making you happy or no. making it easy. I think they thrive on opacity. I don't, I don't mean to FUD here, but like what Casper does is like, here's the thing. If you want to save some money and you don't want to have to think about this too much, like you don't go anywhere else. Just get it. Cause they got the hundred day, uh, 
uh, what, what do they call it? The hundred day, hundred nights uh, test. Hundred nights. You get this thing, and you get to sleep on it for a hundred nights. And if you don't like it, you can return it any time up to. You the, can even sleep. You can sleep during the day too. They don't care. Oh, that's true. Mm-hmm. Like if you have, like you have to work nights, you can still use this mattress. I'm saying you can sleep, sleep around the clock, full time. Just make your life a Bell and Sebastian song. You sleep and sleep. <laughs> And, uh, and, and it's not, it's not as costly as those crazy retail mattresses. It's easy to deal with, but I think, you know, I, I don't like to oversell this because like, I don't, I don't want to make it sound like it's just like, I, I just don't like dealing. Like I would, I would sleep on a crappy mattress for years just because I know the pain of having to go. Here's the thing. You go, you walk over to your computer, you, uh, you dial up this dingus and they're going to send a mattress to your house and that's it. You're done. You got done. a mattress. Walk away. I want you to really think about that. I want you to think about how easily you can improve one third of your life by just going to the dingus and saying, send me a damn mattress. Well, it's, uh, <laughs> it's $500 for a twin, seven fifty for a full eight fifty for a queen, nine fifty for a king. Uh, and these things are just made so, so well. And they're super, super comfortable. Uh, and if you use our, our code here, you are going to get $50 toward any mattress. And the URL to go to is Casper dot com slash back to work spelled out casper.com slash back to work and the code is back to work all one word spelled out and i have to say the terms and conditions apply i need to say that now so thank you to casper.com casper.com slash back to work for supporting five by five and back to work with merlin man international art museum of america yes you never know you play it by ear, and I don't. I don't know Co- colonial colonial paintings and, and, and Buddhist sculptures. You just play it by ear. You go in there. You don't know what you're going to get. They got a they got a whole jungle downstairs. It's weird. San Francisco <laughs> is uh... originally intended to house a portion of the accomplished works of H. A. Storje Chang Buddha the Third. Originally intended to Wait, house what's a portion. His name? H. H. Storje Chang Buddha the Third. He has the word Buddha in his name. It's the second to the last name. After third. Do you just throw that in there? H.H. Dorje Chang Buddha the third. That seems like a lot of names, Dan. That's the best name ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, what, do you, what do you think? You can call him, you call him H.H., you call him Dorje, you call him Chang, you call him Buddha, you call him Trey. What do you call him? And wait a minute. When, when they say the third, mm-hmm. that, that means... means... <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Dr. Buddha is my father's name. <laughs> so strange to me. He's the third. I'm going to go read more about H.H. Dorje Chang Buddha the third. Because huh. with a name like that, you don't need them all at once. <laughs> so I did uh, oh, have there, a topic. There he is. I, Look at that. He's a he's an interesting looking fella. I wanted to introduce a topic to you. I texted you this morning, probably too early for too you. Too early. I woke up. It's the first thing I see. You got me thinking about things. Well, he's got really interesting hair. Should I go, should I Google this? Yeah. What's yeah, the yeah, name yeah. again? Say this. So H-H- I can... Oh, H H Dorje Chang Buddha the third. Chang Buddha. Okay, it's coming up. Dorje Chang. His hair is in a different movie. <laughs> My goodness. Oh, wow. Looks like somebody shot his hair from a cannon and it happened to land on his Is head. Is he still alive? I don't know. I don't. I, I imagine H.H. Dorje Chang Buddha Sr. and H.H. Dorje Chang Buddha Jr. may not be with us. Who knows? You know, I feel like that's a wig. It's very serene. Yeah, I'm going to say it's a wig. You think it's a wig? Oh, yeah. Maybe he's in um, like witness protection. These are really interesting. Yeah. See, now there already is an H.H. George H. Chang Buddha III Cultural and Art Museum <laughs> that seems like it's, oh, look at that. It's in, it's in a colonial house. Go figure. Oh, man. Oh, man. He has been recognized. Yes. 
Yes. And then, but there's these sculptures. I got to find these sculptures. They have these crazy sculptures that are very particular in style. Uh, it's a style I've never seen anywhere else but at the International Art Museum of America. Huh. Anyway, we should probably come back the to this. The first ancient Buddha in history who has shown such outstanding and complete proficiency and mastery of exoteric Buddhism, esoteric Buddhism, and the five vidya, vidyas, which nobody else has ever done. Like a vidya game? <laughs> The huh, first yep. ancient Buddha in history who's manifested such a large number of holy feats. I did not know that. What's in the treasure room? Ooh, the treasure room. <laughs> oh, wow, look at this. Just, uh, uh, huh. Now, wait a minute. Yeah. Wait a minute. Oh. No, no, no. Hold on. Wait a minute. Yeah. Master Wan Ko Yi is recognized as the true incarnation of H.H. How do I say that one? Doji is this like a Scott Chang Lang and Ant-Man type situation? Buddha the third. I, yeah. I bet it, I bet it's like Michael Douglas is Ant-Man, but sometimes it's Paul Rudd or Scott Lang. Oh, man. And, and he didn't make Ultron. I bet that's it. H.H. <clears throat> George H. Chang, Buddha the Third. Yeah. <sighs> wow. Next time you come out here, you know, oh, we'll go to the treasure room. The I'll treasure come out room, just for this. The treasure room contains uh, the most precious pieces made by H.H. George H. Chang, Buddha the Third, the likes <laughs> of which cannot be seen anywhere else in the world. <laughs> they were brought to the IAMA, which you can keep in track, is the International Art Museum of America. <laughs> Uh, mm. uh, uh, to, for the public to enjoy, despite offers from private collectors of over $70 million. Huh. They've mm. described as soul-captivatingly beautiful and as, quote, gifts from God to mankind. It's, uh, it's pretty special. Y- Yun Sculptures is what, one of the things he makes, Yun Sculptures. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Treasure room ticket price is $600. What? And each ticket admits a maximum of 10 people to go in the treasure room. It looks like it's got nunchucks for handles on the door. There's some notices and like a large uh, horizontal post-it note. You can't get in for less? Well, they got a red rope. I think they're not going to open that for you. See, that's that's <laughs> the thing. That's how they get you. They, they ask for a donation when you come in. Oh. No, no, no. It's a, it's a non-profit, the International Art Museum <laughs> of America. I imagine. Did you donate when you were there? Of course I did. I'm not an animal. Oh, okay. I even bought something in the gift shop. What'd you get? I don't think it was by H.H. H. George H. Chang Buddha the Third, but I think probably a postcard for my kid. No. Anyway, it was a good, it was a good day. <laughs> the crest uh, they've got is kind of interesting. They're, uh, what do you call that, coat of arms? It's got three balls. Hmm. Um, tell me about your topic. I woke up this morning and you were texting me. Okay, so the, it, I was texting you for, it was a, a lifeline, a cry for help. Because it seems like everywhere I look, there is a trending topic uh, called stoicism. And I keep seeing it. It keeps coming out. And this is something that uh, I remember reading about years ago. And so when I I Googled this, I found things from a a guy named Ryan Holiday, who has written, I guess he's, he's sort of become... Like the the stoicism guru or something. His go, name go to stoic. Yeah, yeah. His name will come up a lot if you are searching for articles about stoicism. And I don't. I it seems like it's it's going everywhere now. And stoicism, if you want to trust Wikipedia, it's a stoicism is a school of Hellenistic philosophy founded in Athens by Zeno of Sidium. In the early 3rd century BC, it, they taught that destructive emotions resulted from errors in judgment. Uh, they were concerned with the active relationship between cosmic determinism and human freedom, 
and the belief that it is virtuous to remain a will to to maintain a will that is in accord with nature. But they they talk about how like it, and it's it's kind of a weird take in a way. Maybe I'm reaching too much, but I always try and relate things back to the stuff that that I know to form a basis of learning something new. Right. And and so I'm very familiar with Buddhism and mindfulness and mindfulness practice and that kind of thing. But it says that. Um, that the point is that this is to help you overcome destructive emotions and act on what can be acted upon. Mm-hmm. And they, they're spinning this as something that's really, really useful for entrepreneurs. They go back to Marcus Aurelius, the Roman emperor and how he wrote about stoicism. And they said that it's um, a meditative technique that transforms negative emotions into a sense of calm and perspective. So it sounds really useful, but I just don't know much about it, but there's this whole philosophy of like, if you don't want to be harmed by something, then don't be harmed by it. So it seems like it's kind of impenetrable to me in a way. And I figured I would turn to my, my self-help productivity guru. And that's what the text was all about. Yeah. I don't, I don't have, I mean, I'm just reading the same things you are right now. I, I remember, I think I, I read about stoicism I don't know, somewhere in a philosophy class. But what I do, what I do remember, which is now being underscored, is that stoicism is um, not what you think it is. That I think when you think of somebody, the adjective stoic, or that, you know, to say that he, he had a stoic reaction. Yeah. I think the implication in, at least in, in my circles, is that you not only don't show emotion about right, something, right. but arguably you don't have emotion about it. That I, I think the stoicism that was sold to us over time was that you're supposed to just not feel things. An iron golem. Yeah, sure. You know, like, like this, this construct that, that you can become of a sort of unfeeling. Yeah. And it's not that, it's not that you feel it and don't show your emotion. That seems like the key of what, what you're saying is it simply you don't even, you don't even react to the thing. Right. And so to underscore, like, th- that's not what it is. I mean, that the number, the, uh, Webster's defines stoicism as, no, but on, on uh, the definition that comes up on Google, the first, the first definition huh, is the endurance of pain or hardship without a display of feelings and complaint. And the second definition is much longer and has more to do with the Greek school of philosophy. So what is it that interested you? Well, it seems obvious that some of the interest is in the seeming similarity to aspects of mindfulness yes for sure and and i mean i'm always i'm fascinated by different sort of world views and philosophies and i like you know i'm i'm very much of the mindset that i don't believe that there is any sort of one thing that's going to be perfect for any one individual that you can just uh, you can you can find some worldview that someone else came up with and that it, it will be perfect for and define everything in, in your own. I mean, maybe that's true, but I like to, I like to learn about things, especially if I feel really comfortable in, in a sort of philosophy or mindset, then, then that makes me think that maybe I don't know enough about the other ones. So um, uh, that's, that's so, it's so interesting and so true. It's like, you know, I, um, we were talking on the on the show with Jim Dalrymple and the Dalrymple report about like what what it is we think makes a good app, and I had this kind of mixed feeling of like I feel like a good application it should be clear when you launch and start using it like what it's generally for, but it should also the best apps reward depth. 
the the best apps reward like learning more about the app. You're like you don't have to know everything to get started, but you know, like a Unix like system, mm-hmm. like the more time you spend with it, the more you can do, and the more you realize about it. And those things that you eventually realize about it are not the kinds of things that you would pick up picked up on day one. Because if you had, then it wouldn't be interesting after a week. I mean, it's weird to comb- to like. Uh, compare a philosophy to an iPhone app, but I think that's kind of true. If you get everything about, like, if it's if it's like a religion or a, a any kind of a school of thought that can be summarized in like one phrase and doesn't really expand on that, like, yeah. you know, how how uh, how rewarding can that really be? Huh. Mm. Summer camp. But there's there's a lot. I mean, the, it, these things kind of come up in a way at, as fads in. In you know, like, oh, well, this person is advising this CEO and it's all about stoicism and that's how they took these great risks that yielded their company, you know, an acquisition by such as, a, you know, they got bought by Google for $500 million because of these great decisions that the CEO made and he just happened to, uh, you know, be, you know, go go along with the stoicism philosophy and is, had this person who advised him on it and, you know, like, that kind of stuff makes me like almost kind of leery of it but then it it gain it, why does stuff like this kind of gain traction do you think why does it hit that point where now everyone quote unquote everyone is is talking about it yeah you know well, what I mean? I mean like like and i mean that definitely happened with the four-hour work week and it happened with oh i'm going gluten-free and it happened with you know all, all of these you know the 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 moleskine notebooks and you know like it in some of them stick around and and some of them don't and this one's been around for a while well yeah you know it's on the one hand i guess it's great that any kind of interesting message gets out there um you know kind of regardless of what the intentions of the of the authors or the you know founders had in mind like you can douche up anything you know and turn in this here we go this is one the stoic nine principles to help you keep calm in chaos and where is this one this this guy has a book. It's like the seven the seventeen things that managers are going to face, and it's like right. you know you can you can ruin any interesting idea with that kind of nonsense. But it is interesting how certain kinds of thoughts like this, or these fads, kind of come and go. You know, of course, there's a part of me that thinks, well, it's just more grist for the self absorption yeah, mill in, yeah. in my current line of thinking. But yeah, I, I would uh, I'd be willing to learn more about this because I. Uh, I'm not immune to the turns out stuff. I like the idea of something that's not what it seems. But was there other things about this? I realize this is a young topic for you. Are there things about a stoic approach that particularly appeal or that you would want to share with people as something you're going to be considering? Well, no, um, not really. I, I like the, you know, I'm at a point now where, you know, because I've been doing like five by five now for like six years. I'm always trying, you know, there's, there's this, I don't know if there's like a, uh, like a, a life cycle for a company and how fast you move through that life cycle. But I'm definitely at that point where like, I, I know the business, I know how it works and I'm trying to innovate. I'm trying to make interesting decisions. I'm trying to do things that, uh, that, that that can take stuff that I've been doing now and move it in a new direction and move it in, in, uh, you know, and, and try new things and experiment and take different risks than I might've taken, you know, I, 
it, typically I'm like a risk averse kind of person. You said, well, mm-hmm. what kind of, what kind of risks are you going to take with, you know, podcasting? Well, I, I have ideas. And so do I, do I take them? Do I not? And how do I, and, and so anything that kind of inspires me to, to make some of the, the changes or take the risks or do the things that I'm thinking about doing on a regular basis. It's, I like, I, you know, I find that stuff to be kind of encouraging in the way that I think hopefully our show can encourage people to, you know, to, to reevaluate or to take a hard look at the things that they're, that they're doing, or to at least hear other people who are kind of sympathetic to their own struggles. I mean, we get a lot of email. We don't get a chance to share it a lot, but a lot of people write to us and say, thank you for talking about this topic that, that made sense to me or that helped me. Uh, and so a lot of, when I read about these things, especially when a lot of people all of a sudden are sort of talking about it, I like to say, well, that's interesting. And how can I apply it? Is this something that, that could help me kind of push the envelope in a way? And, and where do I get the inspiration to, to do that from? And maybe this could be a source of that inspiration. So that's kind of my, my mm-hmm. goal in looking at it because a lot of the time, and it's like you said in the very beginning of the show, how interesting, uh, that you said, you know, that like like looking inward and being introspective, maybe that's not the best, uh, the best source of, of wisdom or not always the best source of, of wisdom. So, yeah. Yeah. What's the phrase he said, a horse did use his lens or as John uh, Roderick would say, a thought technology, right? You know, as, as Roderick somewhat famously says, he likes to try on, um, he likes to try on ideas like sport coats. Mm. which is not always a popular idea with people because the idea of even entertaining any idea is so appalling to some people. The idea that you could even think a thought is, Ooh, it's so dangerous. And it's like, I, I, right, I'm with John. Right, I'm, right. I'm, I'm, there's, you know, there's, <laughs> um, I mean, what you decide to, to do in life and how you want to behave is, can be, it's very important. Like, don't be a jerk, but like just thinking about things shouldn't hurt that much. Uh, so I think, you know, and as I'm on record as being a big fan of finding ways to reframe things or to just, you know, you think about just the way, just getting the ability to look at a situation or a thought, a feeling, an opportunity or whatever it is, and be able to like learn to, without being panicked, learn to walk around all sides of that car and just look at it from every angle. Like whenever you're trying to think about what to do next in life, finding a new way to, a new way to see something that really forces you out of your way you've typically thought about it in the past can be, I think, really instructive and sometimes discomforting where you feel like, Ooh, ugh, this is kind of weird. I've never thought about this this way before. That's a good sign that it's, you know, that, that, that might be worth looking at to at least try on like a sports coat, because even if you don't end up adopting it and buying a book and a mat, like you could still find something in that to add to your toolbox or your arsenal and right. how you decide to, think about and address a problem because, you know, and then this does get very much back to the self-absorption problem though, is that if, if you, if one is constantly trying to turn every problem into a problem about my life, because I always get treated this way or because things always happen that way, like that's a waste of a lot of good materials to constantly, what you really need to do is, is pop the stack, go way up and like, find a way to reframe the way that you've been thinking, not, not just how you think about it or what the solution is, yeah. but how you've been framing the problem. The only way to really fundamentally change the way anything happens is you've got, you've got to go way higher up or deeper. This analogy is getting really mangled. <laughs> you've got to go way beyond, like what's a different way of trying to fix this broken vehicle? Well, wait a minute. Why are you fixing the broken vehicle? Well, because I got to do this thing. It's like, okay, well, can you just take a plane? 
Could you take a bus? Could you not go? Could you not care? Could you do something else? It's like, you know, it's reframing or thinking outside the box, if you like. Um, It becomes a very important skill because it constantly forces you to refocus on what the real thing you're trying to do is. And once you focus on what the real thing you're trying to do is, the answers become a lot easier to understand. It's only when we stay mired in seeing a problem a certain way or insisting that this question can only be asked this one way, that's, that's where you run into trouble and you lose the ability to evolve and adapt. So, you know, I'm, I'm all for it. How do you do that though? Like, how do you, you know, do you talk about John trying on, you know, a different, a different philosophy or something like that? Like, like, what do you do? Do you just say like in your mind, like I've just done this, you know, like, like somebody who thinks, you know what, I want to quit being a lawyer and start being a web developer. Do they just say, I'm a web, I'm a web developer today. I'm a web developer and I'm not, I'm not practicing law anymore. Like, I mean, is it as simple as that or, or what? Um, I think it, it, it can and should vary a lot. Um, just to be a little highfalutin, I think it's part of, if you've been fortunate enough, privileged, if you like enough to get to go to college and have a life of ideas for a few years, it makes a lot more sense. If you've never gotten the opportunity to go somewhere where you're encouraged to hone your skills at thinking about things, uh, it, it does feel purely like mental masturbation and it certainly can be. It's just that, you know, in order to see the world be any different than how it is, you have to get past all the failures of imagination that have kept things the way that they oh, are. Man. And so if you're unwilling, you know, it's like the famous Bobby Kennedy quote about, you know, asking why not, you know, it's, it, it, you, you have to throw out a lot of good and bad ideas to do any one thing, but you can't even get to having any ideas until you say that ideas are okay. Ideas shouldn't hurt. Thoughts shouldn't be harmful. I should be able to think about these things without feeling like I'm being disloyal to some school of thought or I'm being dumb. I'm being childish. I'm being any of these things. Like that's the creative life. The creative life is the ability to say, um, there's, I'm not going to be marred by living inside this intellectual world for an hour. Like I can read this material and it's right. not going to right. rub off on me. Right. I mean, I remember like I had this very clear rec- recollection. I, um, my girlfriend uh, had this job. We both kind of worked at this place in uh, in Florida. And one day she was like, oh, she's at work in the office with all the other Southern ladies. And nothing against the Southern ladies, but she said something like, oh man, I can't believe I did that. I'm on crack. And it was like, like needle across the record. Everyone looked at her. And I don't think they thought that she was on crack. Right. But the very idea that she would say something about being on crack instantly made her incredibly suspicious. Like the idea in, in that environment, even acknowledging that a certain kind of thing exists aloud is tantamount to doing it. She might, it would be like, it, it would be like pooping in the middle of the office <laughs> because that thought is dangerous. Yeah. So I don't know. Uh, I'm not sure where I'm going with this, but yeah. And you know what? I, I don't want to make this too practical. I want to keep this up in the clouds. Like I, I have practical advice on how you can implement these things, but you know what? I think we need to do less implementing and we need to do a little bit more thinking, but we need to do outward thinking, thinking about like how the world is and, and, you know, maybe less about how we bend it to our will. You know, I don't know. Well, there know. is there, there is that sense of treating things very lightly and, and not getting too serious and not buckling down and, you know, again, now that now I can get a little Buddhisty. I remember our our friend Gil talking about your meditation practice, and he kept talking all the time. He was always talking about your practice, and and you know, and I'm like, what what's the big deal? Like, why does he talk about how hard it is to keep your practice going? I'm like, you know, it's easy. It's easy. You just you know, in the morning you wake up and you go and you sit for 45 minutes, and then you're mindful the rest of the day. Like, why is that hard? 
Well, it's not hard if you're like a software developer sitting at home in your sweatpants all the time. But then when you go to an office or live in the real world and uh, and you have kids and you have all this other distractions and commuting and blah, 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 like, oh, right, that's what he was talking about. <laughs> it's very easy when you can create an almost monastic life for yourself in your house. And, and you know, that <laughs> right. that was fine. That was fun. Uh, and and but it, it feels like cheating, though. It was very much cheating. And then it's you like know, the, the old joke about like, how do you live to be 100 years old? Uh, you get up every morning and drink a glass of milk for a hundred years. <laughs> that's all you have to do. But you first, know, like, get a million dollars. That's right. And I thought about it after that, and I was like, "That's why he was, you know, he was addressing a problem that I didn't yet have." And one of the things that he, I remember now, as I think about about listening to those podcasts or reading the stuff that that he wrote about it, how. You know, having that, what he used to talk about, I don't know if this is his exact phrasing, but having sort of a light touch to it, you know, mm-hmm. like having having this attitude of exploration and looking at something and not feeling like you've got a bear bearing down, you know, oh, and, absolutely. and it's how like bad it's, that is. And again, this gets to so many of the tenets of mindfulness or in, in his case, insight meditation. You know, it's the idea, there's a phrase I, I, I like to think about sometimes, which is, as I said before, stupid can't stick to me. It's like, it's up to me to decide if I let stupid stick to me. It's entirely up to me. It's, it would almost be like thinking that, you know, we talked about meditation as being an exercise of walking over a bridge and trying not to catch a fish. Uh, that's a great way to think about that. It's also a way of saying like anything that somebody throws at me, it's up to me to decide whether to catch it, hang on to it and be mad yeah. or to just dodge it and avoid yeah. it altogether. Or to admit that it's just an analogy and nobody was ever really throwing anything at me. Boom. Wow. Did I just blow your mind? Yes. Something that's frustrating about the IMF site, though, it's hard to link to things like they don't have like exact pages for certain Home. podcasts. So you have to go right to a uh, like an MP3. Um, but uh, we certainly linked to this in the past. But Gil Fronstall's um, uh, talk on Meta is very good. Uh, it's it's a great talk on loving kindness medita- meditation, which very which much is in everything we're talking about here everything is, is, we're talking about and you know what there's an interesting there's an interesting thing I'll add and he's not the one who gave this particular talk on meta but there was uh the, there's a, another woman it's been a while since I listened to these uh who's so great and she she does a lot of talks there too and it's a lady a lady talked about anxiety right yeah yep. being on the plane yes. and thinking that yeah exactly she's great that's that, that's she's my all-time amazing. favorite that's my all-time favorite insight meditation talk well she she talks about how in this love, loving kindness practice, which sounds so weird. And for me as a, a meditator, I found way more difficult than mindfulness meditation, by the way. One of these interesting things that she said, and I think we've talked about this, and, and, and I think it comes at least in part from the talk that you're describing. She says that it's almost, if not almost, it is impossible to feel things like fear or anxiety if you're feeling and very connected to the feelings of loving kindness. Uh, so it can be a very good meditation for things like anxiety and things like that. Anyway, I just wanted to No, it's, it's, a, ter- it's a terrific talk. If you can find it, I would say put it up. She gets to a lot of interesting stuff. And there's, there's one, I was listening to it the other day, um, the Meta talk. I think it was yeah, Gil Fronstahl's one. But he, the way he talks about it, I've listened to it several times and I'm still like, I'm, I feel like I'm still kind of getting what it is. Cause the basic thing in Meta is to get to a state where secondarily you're wishing, you're wishing, um, goodwill to the world. And you start by finding 
sort of loving kindness for yourself. And you move out in these concentric circles and there's a certain kind of pattern to doing this. But anyway, you can read about it. It's, there's stuff out there about it. The part that really that got me though was that he's saying it's not just about being positive or thinking good thoughts. Ultimately, it's about that search for the impulse inside of you that makes you want to be more generous toward the world. Right. It's very subtle and I'm, I'm, I'm not beginning to put it well, but it isn't simply going, have a nice day. It's more like, no, really looking inside yourself for this impulse, this, this, this basic desire somewhere inside of you for people to have peace, for, for people to be without fear, for all of these things. And you, and then you do proceed to then wish that upon the world in this meditation, a kind of prayer. Um, but it's, it's very subtle and it's, I don't know. And I think it's a, it's a, just, it's a nice exercise in not just thinking about yourself. Right. Even though you kind of aren't thinking about yourself. Or are you? <laughs> Zen like chocolate. <laughs> just like chocolate. Did you have something else to tell me about that you like? Speaking of uh, Zen mm. and smiling, the smiling Buddha, Smile Software is our, uh, our second sponsor for the day. They have made uh, some amazing, amazing applications over the years. And they're, uh, they're, they have one here called PDF Pen Pro, which if you've heard us talk about PDF Pen, PDF Pen Pro is the advanced version of PDF Pen. It is the ultimate all-purpose PDF editor. It does uh, everything a PDF Pen does. So you can do things like adding signatures, editing text, uh, images, doing OCR on documents that you've scanned in, uh, and exporting all of this into like Microsoft Word and all these other formats. But it also lets you do things like create an interactive PDF form. So you can give that to someone, have them fill it out, send it back, boom. Build a table of contents, document permissions. You can convert websites to multi-page PDFs, which is really cool. All of this stuff with all of the other features, it export to Microsoft Excel and PowerPoint and PDF archive formats, and it syncs all the PDFs that you have with uh, with your iPad and iPhone, which has PDF Pen on it, of course, uh, all via iCloud. So it's just really, really cool. All these features are built in. They even, uh, PDF Pen Pro 7.1, the new version, lets you do things like set tool tips for the form fields. Users can then go and do like voiceover accessible films, all this integration of voiceover stuff, which is so cool. Anyway, uh, you, this, and oh, Built for Yosemite too, the new version 7. It requires Yosemite, but uh, it, it's perfect. Works seamlessly. To learn more about this, you can download a free trial. The URL that you want to go to is smilesoftware.com slash B2W. Smilesoftware.com slash B2W. Uh, there, that is going to support the show going to that. And also you, you'll get your free demo there. So thanks very much to Smile for supporting uh, 5x5 and Back to Work with Merlin Man. Thank you, Smile. They are... They are such great friends of the show and such great friends of, uh, of, of everybody. They do so much stuff to make our life easier. Man, when you need their apps, you really need their apps. They're the best. Just, it's just if you got to deal with the PDFs, you know, I'm sorry, you got to deal with PDFs, but man, you need this app. You do. Oh. You do. Hmm. Boy, that was a weird one. It's a good one. Mm. Mm. Lots, 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 of, lots, lots to chew on. Parenting. Parenting. Meta. International Art Museum. I want to go there for that. Yeah, that's a hell of a thing. Is it a walk? Is it walkable from the um, Uncanny X Man meetup? No, no, no. But it's 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 in the area where you're really going to watch where you're stepping. And uh, (laughs) maybe we could kickstart a trip to the treasure room. Let's do it. (laughs) 
<laughs> get some, get, get, get a couple PS4s in the process. Make it a stretch goal. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I'm not going to do a Kickstarter for a PS4. I think we I should. Did. Indiegogo? I, no, no. I'm keeping my powder dry for that. I, I, I might have other stuff I want to do. I want to beg on. I did put it on my Amazon wish list. So if anybody really wants me to have a PS4, I think, Dan, you, you should add one to yours too. I will, I, I will add one and we'll put, can we put them in the show notes at least? Uh, sure. All right. We will both have our Amazon wish list in the show notes. <laughs> and if you want to get us gaming, we'll be, we'll be hardcore. Thank I think in a month so- we'll be hardcore yes. gamers. I just want to thank everybody for spending the last hour and 19 minutes listening to our discussion of not being self-absorbed. Yeah. If you'd like to buy us a, a PlayStation, we're not going to say no. We're not monsters. How many controllers do we need? I, don't know, I need all the controllers. Okay. You, uh, that, that, is, that, is that a Ruby thing? Yeah, that's the that's that a, a few control model. Is that what it's called? Yes, MVC. Okay, let's button this up. <laughs> I love you. I love you too, Merlin man. Mm-hmm.